0: Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry today.
1: Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of Hungry for More. I'm your host Al Smith the Pipe Padre and um, uh, don't be fooled by my set today. Uh, People sometimes think wow you always seem to have some unique hoodies and t-shirts in the background. And you uh, usually see my Pray Trust, Don't Worry, or oh, you might see my School of Sheen hoodie. But today I have my Australian football jersey uh, up on the wall because uh, today the Australians are coming. And so we're having a few uh, good laughs, of course, uh, knowing that we're now international. And um, uh, we're gonna have on the show today, a friend of mine, Matthew Tegg, who um, works with uh, Perusia Media. In Australia, and is uh, going to be sharing a few insights uh, about Perusia Media, uh, but also sharing stories of his life, sharing stories of um, the uh, great benefit that he has experienced by uh, following the rule of Saint Benedict and uh, being an oblate of Saint Benedict. So, uh, of course, um, we are. Um, Going to begin with prayer as we always do. And so I'd ask my producer, Kent Kohalski, to bring up on the screen uh, the beautiful prayer from Saint Teresa of Avila. So please join me. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let nothing disturb you, let nothing frighten you. All things are passing. God never changes. Patience obtains all things. Nothing is wanting to him who possesses God. God alone suffices. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love those words of St. Teresa of Avila. Of course, let nothing disturb you, let nothing frighten you, especially in these trying times. So I want to bring onto the screen uh, a good friend of mine, uh, Matthew Tagg. Of course, uh, his full name is Matthew Herman Tagg, and uh, Matthew uh, joins us uh, all the way from Australia uh, today, and uh, there's kind of a 14 hour time lag so uh, I want to say good day good morning to you and it's evening for us but uh, Matthew welcome to hungry for more
2: thank you very much thank you for having me and yes good evening to you but it is still morning for another 40 minutes for us so good morning from Australia
1: very good very good well we had the opportunity to share the stage uh, last week at the immortal combat men's conference and uh, there was 23 speakers that uh, shared the stage and each of us gave presentations that were unique uh, but uh, speaking to certain themes and you brought some of your Australian Counterparts, uh, I want to say partners in crime with you from Perus. Yeah yeah. Uh, Charbel (laughs) Race had come And uh, so the men came and of course delivered and uh, we were very happy to have Uh your presence and uh, of course, uh, I like to say the church is international and um, The struggles that we have here in canada and the united states are the same struggles in australia and uh, all over the world so um the issues that we spoke to uh you know rang true to all men who were tuned in uh to the immortal combat men's conference and uh, i know you gave a beautiful presentation on uh, saint benedict in today's modern world and we'll talk a little bit more about that but uh for those who are watching uh, maybe matthew you could uh, introduce yourself and uh talk to us a little bit about your journey
2: well certainly, um, I was uh, born into a Catholic family uh, in 1974, uh, unfortunately it's, uh, it's not what I would call a, uh, a practicing Catholic family. My parents didn't, didn't have uh, a great deal of the faith. It was my grandparents on both sides who were the faithful practicing Catholics. Uh, Nonetheless, I was uh, baptized into the church and went to a Catholic primary school and received the sacraments and went to mass. Um, But it was uh, when I started hitting my early teens that uh, my parents' faith had waned so much that uh, I don't I think. Probably they didn't want to go to mass anymore, but uh, they they went. They made an offer to us children and asked us whether or not we wanted to continue going to mass. And of course, for a for a twelve year old um, boy, I had you know better things to do on a Sunday, and uh, this just happened to coincide uh, with me. basically indulging in my very first addiction, that of masturbation and uh, pornography. So here I was just heading off to uh, high school uh, in need of really good catechesis. And uh, in in the 90s in Australia, uh, catechesis in Catholic high schools uh, was not very good. Let's be frank. It It was pretty terrible, in fact. Uh, our religion classes consisted of learning about world religions with very little Catholic apologetics. So I wasn't getting schooled in the faith at school, nor at home. And so my addiction really took off. Masturbation and pornography was my primary. And so I had exchanged um, true love uh, for uh, for the lie of lust. And by the time I was hitting the age of 17, all I wanted to do and and what I thought would be the answer to my problems was to find a girl I could have sex with. And and that's that's literally the attitude. That's what I was after at the age of 17. But I was also a very anxious child. I've suffered with anxiety most of my life. So uh, talking to women was uh, a virtual impossibility. Uh, I've always been a bit of of a nerd, a bit of a bookworm, though uh, more on subjects that I prefer uh, to follow rather than school subjects. And uh, all of this plus the anxiety meant that uh, I really wasn't very comfortable in social situations. But at the age of 17, I discovered something that made me very comfortable in social situations and uh, able to pursue women and that was alcohol alcohol gave me a false confidence and allowed me to be the life of the party and to talk to women and even uh, pursue women unfortunately for me i have the disease of alcoholism and i drank alcoholically pretty much from day day 1 uh, now i'm in in recovery circles i'm what's called a binge blackout drinker so I can handle my drink on you know, night one or night two or night three or, or night five. But notice night four. You, know, it, you could never pick which, which time it was going to be that I would pick up a drink. And then the moment alcohol touched my lips, that's it. I was off. So one was too many and 100 was not enough. And so I would, uh, by the end of my drinking, I'd, I'd often been going on three-day drinking vendors, that sort of thing. So, but here I was uh, now using alcohol to, uh, to pursue uh, women and alcohol then became my primary. And uh, because of this binge blackout type alcoholism, uh, it, it meant that I wasn't very successful at, uh, at holding down jobs or pursuing study or anything like that. And uh, also, uh, at the age of 16, my parents had separated. And uh, so I I didn't have a father figure um, in the home. Um, I got very close to my Catholic grandfather um, in those years, which I'm eternally grateful for, because he did give me some grounding in the Catholic faith. And I think that had a massive influence on, on bringing me home. But at the age of 23, I decided that uh, all the people and places at home in Australia was uh, was what was causing all my problems, and so I travelled. And I travelled the UK thinking that I would see the sights and uh, do all, had all these wonderful plans. Uh, but I worked bars uh, to pay my way around the United Kingdom, and this made alcohol more available, and it was inevitable uh, that uh, in the... The bar scene over there, I would eventually get into the drug scene. And I found myself at the end of, year, of the year 2000 uh, taking six grams of cocaine a day and uh, on some weekends taking, uh, you know, way too many ecstasy pills. And I was also drinking copious amounts of alcohol. And this is where Providence stepped in for the first time in the form of pneumonia. I got Pneumonia. Uh, at the end of the year 2000 in Leeds, and spent Christmas tide of the year 2000 in Leeds General Infirmary uh, for a whole week. And it was a bit of a wake up call for me, particularly um, being really deep into the drug scene over there. I saw two roads before me, and, and one led swiftly to the grave. And so, thankfully, I made the right choice and decided to, to break all ties that I had um, very early in 2001 I moved up to Edinburgh to get away from all the people I knew and the the scenes that I was in. Um, So I cut the drugs. I've only ever had one bust since uh, giving up uh, the drugs. So uh, I think I must be 14 years uh, clean from illicit drugs. In Edinburgh uh, I struggled to to kick this uh, this addiction, but alcoholism was now my primary, so I was able to use alcohol basically to to get sober, uh, to to get clean rather, and uh, but I you know because I was drinking even more, uh, I was truly a mess uh, by this stage, and this is where providence stepped in again, uh, that same grandfather I mentioned was dying, and I got a phone call from him uh, from. Hospital. I'd been told what was going on, uh, basically to say goodbye. And the last thing he said to me was, "When are you coming home?" And uh, it um, it really upset me. It was a it was a deeply emotional conversation. And so a, a day later, my family phoned up with an offer. Uh, they they said, um, "You know, your grandfather wants to see you. You clearly want to see him. If you want to see him." before he dies you need to get on a plane now I was such a mess there was no way I was affording a plane ticket home I didn't have a return ticket because I'm a dual citizen of the UK so I went over on a single way with the intention of buying a single way back home Um, so my family offered to buy that ticket so I, I could get home so I told them that I'd think about it And uh, that afternoon, I went off for a walk to uh, Arthur's Seat. It's a a rocky pinnacle that overlooks the city of Edinburgh. And when I got to the top, I sat up there for a long time and actually, uh, for the first time in a long time, experienced some genuine emotion. And it was inevitable. It was a no-brainer. I accepted the offer. I was on a plane the next day. I was picked up from the airport and taken straight to my grandfather's deathbed. And uh, he couldn't. Uh, communicate he couldn't uh, see or, or talk uh, at this stage but he could hear and when he heard his heard my voice his hand started jerking reaching for me so I was able to hold his hand and and talk to him with a little while and, and tell him of all my great adventures and uh, then the nurses asked us to move out of the room so they could do some observations and, and turn him but then they quickly called us back into the room they saw what was coming and uh, it was in that room then uh, that I actually witnessed the moment my grandfather died as uh, one of the nurses even said, there he goes. And actually I think it was my aunt who said, there he goes. And indeed, like that was the exact moment because something happened, something happened in that room that I, I cannot explain. And I witnessed my grandfather going f- from a, a living, breathing human being to just a corpse going through the biological processes of death. And that moment, that transition, something happened in that room that I simply couldn't explain. You see, the reason I'd always thought that the church was wrong, and the reason I used to justify uh, my own behavior was scientism, the belief that the only knowledge worth knowing is that which we can gain from the scientific method. And then I witnessed something in that room that I would never be able to explain or test using the scientific method. And so in that moment, my scientism was smashed and uh, I think I became an agnostic. But unfortunately for me, I still had a lot more drinking in me. Uh, another uh, five years or uh, seven years, in fact, of, of drinking. Uh, eventually, um, I was brought uh, very, very low, low enough to confront my drinking. Um, and two major incidents had happened one i had broken my back and i was uh, a pain sufferer and uh, i have been from that day that was in uh, early 2004 and the other one was the the worst event of my entire life and that was the the suicide of my sister and it was because of that suicide that uh, that my life uh, actually changed it's it's incredible how God can can bring great good out of something so terrible but what happened was that I started worrying about my own anxiety and my own mental health after the suicide of my sister and so a, a well-meaning GP put me on a, a drug um for anxiety and uh I was only on it for three days because uh I, you know when you get uh, drugs and they have the little leaflets and they list all the side effects and you get, you know, common, rare and very rare? Yeah, I was pretty much the entire list, especially all the very rare ones. So from the moment I took the first tiny dose of this drug, uh, on the, the first day, which, is, which was a Friday, my anxiety went through the roof. And I actually sequestered myself in my, my bedroom hiding from everyone and continued to take the drug thinking this is what I'm supposed to be doing. But it sent me stark raving mad. I couldn't sleep. I didn't sleep for for over 36 hours and I was absolutely crazy. Eventually I was so sick that I kind of crawled out of my bedroom and, and found a flatmate and asked him to drive me to the hospital. And he always, uh, he, he, he said that I, I basically looked gray. So he rushed me to the hospital. So this was a, um, this was a, a pretty intense weekend. And the hospital put me on Valium for a week and told me to seek counseling because it was such a traumatic event. And thankfully, I'd been seeing a counselor, a bereavement counselor, and I was able to, to get an appointment very quickly with her. And this was on a, a Thursday. And um, I, I started recounting the events of the previous weekend. And she picked up on something. Wonderful, wonderful counsellor, because she picked up on my anxiety rising with that first dose of the medication and me picking up a drink and getting really drunk on that Friday night. And so she started to quiz me more about my drinking. And so we went in depth into my life of drink. And I will be eternally grateful to that bereavement counsellor because at the end of that session, she said the words to me that would truly change my life. Uh, I think you might be an alcoholic. And I had been brought so low that I was finally able to agree. So after that session, I went home and and I called Alcoholics Anonymous. And the man on the phone was very kind and sympathetic. And uh, he asked me what I was doing that night. And I'd just lost another job and another relationship. In fact, most of my relationships were pretty non-existent at that stage, so I had nothing to do. And he said, well, that's, that's great because our annual AA convention is in Sydney this year and it starts tonight. Now, most people who walk into any sort of recovery room uh, are probably going to walk into a room of maybe a dozen people, 20, you know. There are some meetings that can get, you know, up to around 100, right? But my first experience of a recovery room was in the the grand ballroom of the Hilton in Sydney. And I stood outside the ballroom not making the phone call, all right? I hadn't decided that I would go in. And I stood out there for it must have been 20 minutes. And I remember getting really, really annoyed because there were Too many people. I was really anxious. And the worst thing was that these people kept saying hello to me. It was the worst thing imaginable. So after about 20 minutes, I noticed something. These people who were annoying me, who were going in and out of the ballroom by saying hello to me, they had something that I didn't. They had a smile on their face. And so I made the phone call. And I went into the room and experienced one of the most intense weekends of my entire life, a a complete juxtaposition to the previous weekend. And little did I know, uh, I would find out many years later uh, that that was, in fact, the first contact with with AA for me was um, Holy Thursday of 2007. So 31st of March, 2007. So I've been sober now for, for 13 years.
1: Wow! Amen. Amen. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, you know, I think I, I got <laughs> I have to take a breath. A breath. Yeah, I think everybody at home. <laughs> everybody at home is going, wow! Uh, addicted to this, that, that. Some uh, yep. uh, grandfather, like yep. we're listening to your life story, but it's only yeah. a small portion of your life. <laughs> oh yes. <laughs> and
2: and it's people, the flyby version as well. It's not even the in-depth version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But already you can see how God is sending the rescue movement out and um, he's always doing that. He's sending out the lifeboats and sometimes it's a little dingy uh, with somebody that you least expect it to be. But you've recognized that already now that uh, God was sending his team out to rescue you. Definitely. uh, this is a great story. So let's continue the rescue story, <laughs> how <laughs> yes. God uh, continues. So you're, you're at this big AA convention and yeah. of course, uh, you know, baptism by fire, I guess. <laughs>
2: but, uh, indeed, indeed. Yeah. Like I said, most people, 12, 20, 100, all right? This was three and a half thousand other people with the disease of alcoholism that I had to confront. Um, my, my sobriety certainly wouldn't be easy uh, three months into my sobriety and 16 months after my sister's suicide, a very beloved cousin uh, committed suicide by the same means. So this was this was massive. This almost ruined me because I was struggling to come to terms with especially the first three steps of AA and. Um, coming to realize that yes alcohol had complete control over my life but if I wanted rid of it I had to hand it over to a god of my own understanding and through this second suicide I'm suddenly having to face the problem of evil in a very real and personal way uh, whilst wrestling with this idea of this god of my own understanding this higher power thankfully the fellowship of of, of uh, this recovery group that I was in was, was a higher power in itself and I managed to stay sober. Uh, after uh, about two years, um, I uh, met a woman who is now my wife and I remember um, telling my mother at one stage that I'd found the perfect woman. We, got, we became friends over our mutual love of all things sci-fi. And uh, I said, she's, she's amazing. She's beautiful. She's perfect. But there's just one problem she's Christian. Eventually, after getting to know her a little better, I thought, okay, she's Christian. I'm now agnostic. And through the the miracle of sobriety, I've become a spiritual person. So maybe we can make it work. So I I started to go to her church to try and get to know this Protestant Christianity of hers. And in that Protestant church, I found the same fellowship that I had found in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, but so much more than that, I found people really on fire for their faith, which I had never experienced in the Catholic Church. And I also found people who were willing to answer my questions very intelligently and especially to do with science and faith. And so they they eventually, they had um, a um, an alpha course on offer and they asked me to go along and uh, I'd had enough intelligent answers to my question that I said, okay, I'll try it out. It was, it it only took two weeks of alpha. It was the second week of alpha as I was being reintroduced to Jesus Christ, this Jesus Christ 101, this pre, you know, initial evangelistic nature nature of, of this alpha course that I suddenly started to think, I think Jesus Christ is real. And then I heard a voice in my head, an interlocution, like not not an audible voice through my ears, but in, in my mind. And this voice said to me, I have proven my existence to you through the miracle of sobriety. It is now time for you to know my name. And from that moment, I was Christian. But the most important experience of Jesus was yet to come. It was a few days, it was three days later. And I was driving to uh, Gosford uh, for my brother's birthday. So it's a, about a, f- uh, a three hour journey from Sydney. And as you go north out of Sydney, you eventually hit a river called the Hawkesbury. And the motorway does this big decline down a hill. You go over the bridge and then a, a, um, up the hill on the other side. And as I was heading towards the bridge, it began to rain. And my thoughts started turning to my sinful past. And I started receiving images and ideas of all the things that I'd done. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that I had committed offenses against all 10 of God's commandments. In that sort of lifestyle, it was inevitable that abortion would be part of my life. And I was complicit in two abortions, and this remains um, my deepest regret and my deepest wound. So I realized in that, that I'd committed murder. I had slept with married women, and that was adultery. And as I went through, I, I, I felt utterly depraved, completely and utterly depraved, that I had committed so many offenses against God. And I started thinking that there was no way God could forgive me for my past. And so I hit the, the bridge and the rain was really pouring now. And I was crying. I was in, I was in a, ba- a very bad shape at the bottom of the hill. And I started going up the incline on the other side. And I'm still thinking about all this stuff and I'm feeling wretched and I'm crying. And suddenly, right, a hole in the clouds opened up right in front of me and my car was blasted with sunlight, It was a really dark day, and so this hole in the cloud was almost blinding the way it blasted my car. And again, I heard that same voice, this time full of mercy and compassion, and he said, of course I can forgive you. And then I was crying for a whole different reason. And so that was really those two incidences were the moments of uh, my conversion I I was Christian uh, for about four years when I also had another experience of the Holy Spirit. I felt calling me to to ministry. And so I decided to go off to a a Protestant Bible college. And I was by this stage well and truly searching for truth. I've realized that pretty much my whole life has been a search uh, for truth. and, And I thank God for that. So I was going off to Bible college in search of truth. We used to host uh, a Bible study, a Protestant Bible study at, at our house. So ours was a pretty low Anglican church. But we would have the Anglican minister come round to lead our study. And one of the things that always used to annoy me in Bible studies was that the minister would give some teaching. And then inevitably, particularly if it was a hard teaching, someone in the group would say, oh, no, I don't believe that. He would then argue his point and maybe he would win or maybe they would say, oh, no, I disagree with you. And I had started asking, like the rich young man of Matthew's gospel teacher, what good deed must I do to receive eternal life? And so I started worrying about this and I was looking for truth, I was ready to go all in. I had realized through the miracle of sobriety that I needed all in on sobriety to stay sober. And so I started treating my salvation in the same way. So I went off to Bible college uh, expecting to be taught the truth so that I could uh, live the right life and teach others to do so as well. But I ended up seeing the disunity of Protestantism writ large in the classroom. There's one incident I'll never forget, because, of course, you've got at a non-denominational Bible college, you've got all denominations represented. And so this one lesson, we're studying the book of Acts and we get to the spiritual gifts and the teacher gives some teaching and then someone raises their hand and starts arguing with that interpretation. And then someone from the other side of the room starts arguing with that student and the teacher. And then suddenly you've got everyone in the room trying to give their opinion. You know, the disunity of Protestantism was on full display in that classroom. And again, I despaired. How am I ever going to know truth? Providence, once more, stepped in. This time it's to do with my arthritis. I have developed carpal arthritis in the, uh, the joints on both hands. So I can find um, holding books open, particularly textbooks, uh, quite painful for long periods of time. And the solution I found to this was to get an Amazon Kindle because, you know, holding a, a Kindle in the hand is, is a lot easier than holding books open. And when you buy your textbooks on Amazon, all right, they give you suggestions for other books that you might be interested. And one day this book pops up on my recommended purchases, all right. The full anti-Nicene and Nicene and post-Nicene Church Fathers, $3.01. Best $3.01 ever spent because I began reading the Church Fathers and I discovered that the early church was very Catholic. I only lasted one term at Bible College. Uh, Had to leave because of failing health. Uh, But I didn't give up my studies. I began studying uh, both Protestant doctrines alongside Catholic doctrines. But with one important distinction, I studied the Catholic doctrines from Catholic sources. After about five months uh, and watching loads of videos and reading books and listening to podcasts, I, I was pretty convinced. The Catholic arguments seemed pretty strong. But I needed a nudge. So, I remember one morning after watching a lot of stuff and praying and reading, I got down on my knees and I said, God, I think your church is Catholic. I, I'm pretty convinced of a lot of the arguments, but Lord, you know if I become Catholic, it's going to cost me. And it might even right, completely destroy my family. So, if your church is Catholic and you want me to return home to the Catholic church, Could you please just give me a sign? I got a lot more than I asked for. I got a full-blown immersion in the Holy Spirit. It felt like a waterfall hit me in the head and travelled through my entire body. And after that, it felt like my body was kind of vibrating at a a higher pitch. I'm not doing the experience justice. The, the, The proper word for this experience is ineffable. But... The experience then moved into my mind and I saw the doctrines that I'd been studying and I saw all the Protestant doctrines disappearing with only the Catholic doctrines remaining. And then I got this overwhelming sense that I was literally in liquid truth, that truth was indeed a person and he had a name and I was Catholic from that moment. And I remember calling a co-conspirator of the Holy Spirit who had um, helped me on this journey and has prayed for me for many decades, my aunt. And I said, guess what's happened? And when she picked up on it, she was was in shock. And she said, have you any idea whose feast day it is? I had no idea. I'd been away from the church for three decades. And she said, it's St. Matthew's feast day. It was the 21st of September, 2015, as if I didn't need more confirmation. And yet here I was being overflowing, overflowing confirmation from the Lord. And I've been Catholic ever since.
1: Our God is a show off. He is really? a show-off. Yes. I will say that. <laughs> and uh, boy, I tell you, I think we need a break. <laughs> this is yes, great. I agree. <laughs> we need a break. So I'm going to have uh, my producer, Kent Kowalski, uh, take us into the break. And when we come my back, problem. we'll talk a little bit about uh, what God is still doing in your life uh, as we return here on Hungry for More.
2: Hey, everyone. It's Anne DeSantis here to tell you about my new online TV show called Journeys in Faith. Thanks to Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Radio, I'll be interviewing some amazing guests who'll share with all of us their journeys in faith. It's going to be great, and I can't wait for you to be introduced to some truly good people who are working hard to bring deeper faith to others. It's all about relationship with God and living out our mission as intentional disciples. Join me on Friday's Eastern Time for Journeys in Faith, 830 to 930. Subscribe at Fiat Ministry Network and Patchwork Heart Ministry on both Facebook and YouTube. I'll see you Friday and have a great week. God bless.
0: Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission. A brand new in-depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry today.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome back to this edition of Hungry for More and uh, have in the house uh, my good friend, uh, Matthew Herman Tag from Australia and uh, of course before the break he was telling us about uh, Just I want to say the uh, act one of his amazing journey of uh, the Lord uh, just rescuing him uh, from so many vices and uh, uh, just uh, just uh, almost like total abandonment, but uh, Of course the Lord never abandons us and even though things look bleak. He's there for us and so Um, Of course, I think everyone um, is waiting for act two to say (laughs) All right, Herman uh, tell us again how great God is and what he continued to do in your life and uh, I think this is important for us to hear the full story. I know that you're saying this is an abridged version, uh, but still I think for many of us who have uh, many hopeless cases in our lives, we have, you know, children, relatives, co workers. Um, that we see, um, you know, on this road, this path to uh, just uh, reckless behavior that's destroying their lives, uh, there are, uh, I want to say, um, answer to God's prayer. There are happy endings, and uh, of course, in your situation here, uh, many have rejoiced of how God has rescued you. And he, still, you're a work in progress, but still, there is that expected hope that uh, our Lord saves. And so, uh, please uh, continue with your story.
2: We're very interested. No problem, and I'll 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 first I'll first lighten the mood <laughs> by telling you something rather amusing, and forgive me for for correcting you, but it's to do with my surname. So it's pronounced Taig. Okay, so you think Hague, but with a T rather than an H. So Taig. And it's quite an interesting surname because uh, even to this day in Northern Ireland, it is a derogatory term that Protestants use for Catholics. Bunch of dirty Tags they are. (laughs) I had a lot of fun when I visited uh, Ireland and went through Belfast. Yeah, had some hilarious border guards. They were amazed that uh, they'd met an Australian with a surname Tag. So the the theory with the surname is that we hail from a, a Roman centurion, Tagus, who one lands in Spain. There's a river named after him, Tagus. And so um, then as the Spanish Catholics started crashing into Northern Ireland and emigrating, that's where these tags come from. Um, and there's a uh, there's few anecdotal sort of evidences uh, with, uh, with my family, you know, put, put me, my father, et cetera, in the sun and, and we basically turned brown. So <laughs> yeah, it, uh, it could be a true story. So yeah, I was I was Catholic. Um, uh, Two weeks later, I did a general confession uh, to to return into full communion with the Catholic Church, and it it was uh, one of the most uh, glorious experiences of my entire life. Um, It was very interesting. The the Protestant um, minister of the church that I was now going to we'd we'd moved down uh, to an area of New South Wales called the Shoalhaven region, and so I was at this stage. Still going to Protestant services. Uh, on my journey home over those five months, I got more and more interested in liturgy, and so at the Protestant services, I started going to the the higher services earlier in the day. And at the end, what I was doing was I was going to the very high service at eight o'clock in the morning at the Protestant church, the Anglican church, and then going to a mass and and trying to learn more about the liturgy. And and all of this was, of course, leading me to the Eucharist. And it was finally the Eucharist through liturgy that brought me home. And um, I love the fact that that God has left me uh, even to this day with a strong desire to learn as much as I can about liturgy. It's my favourite subject of study. But the Protestant minister was was talking to me this whole time. So I I was talking to the Catholic priest who was trying to convince me of the truth of Catholicism and the Protestant minister was trying to convince me of the truth of Anglicanism. And so one of the things um, that I asked for from him was confession because I knew the high Anglicans did that. And so I had experienced confession with this Protestant minister. Now, a couple of things occurred in this confession. Uh, Firstly, he told me he'd never done this before. And secondly, he asked me if there was any um, crimes in my past that he would be forced to report to the authorities. All right, now, later when I did my general confession, imagine the comparison between these two confessions. And uh, with him, there was, there was very little form to it. He kind of made it up as he went along. Um, he drew from a, a more formal version of it and then threw some of his own quotes in. And, of course, at the end there was no absolution uh, compared with confession with a Catholic priest where um, it, was, it was very structured. It was, it was simple. It was filled with merciful language, with forgiveness language. And, of course, that incredible moment when I was absolved of my sins. Very, very, very different. And so um, confession has, uh, has become one of the great joys of, of my life. Um, I'm quite thankful for that because uh, I need to go very often. I, I, I stand with many of the saints. I need confession at least once a week because <laughs> I'm still trying to beat those vices. And it's been difficult uh, one of the things I found um, early in my Catholicism was that this was the first time I would attempt to tackle my sex addiction, my pornography addiction, and my masturbation addiction. So, you know, I'm even I'm still married by this stage, right? And I'm still addicted to those three vices. Uh, the same co-conspirator of the Holy Spirit, my aunt, uh, very early in my return home, gave me a copy of Humane Vitae. Uh, which I took home and read. And then on the following visit, she handed me another copy of Humane Vitae and said, have I given you one of these? And I said, yeah, you have. I'll take another one just in case you need it. So the message was pretty pretty strong, pretty clear. I read Humane Vitae and it was beautiful. Absolutely amazing and spot on. Just absolutely hit the nail on the head. Right? Um, the Pope spelled out clearly what human sexuality was for and he described all of the all of the vices that I was experiencing, through masturbation and contraception and all this sort of stuff. Uh, so this was the first time in my life I had attempted to sort out my very first uh, addiction. And then I discovered uh, actually a priest gave me a copy of uh, Christopher West's Naked Without Shame, uh, which took me deeper into it and and right into the theology of the body of. Um, Saint Pope John Paul II, and I was utterly convinced uh, by all of this, but it was a long road. Remember, I had over thirty years of ingrained, habitual mortal sin. So I would say to um, any of your younger listeners, all right, get into good habits now. Don't ever think that um, you know through my story you can you can live out the same life that you can go and and do what you like for like 30 years and then you'll come home then. All right. Completely the wrong attitude. It's, it's a pure miracle that I'm home. And one of the reasons I'm home is because God allowed me to experience um, such horror through the course of my actions to bring me so low that I was desperate enough to, to hear the good news. So I would say to young people, no, 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 don't do what, what many in the early church did, stayed catechumens for, for 10 or ten or 30 years, hoping to you know, get baptised uh, on their deathbed so that they could enter the church. Don't do that. You're in danger. You're in mortal danger. And you're building up the wrong sort of habits. And those habits are going to be very difficult um, to beat. All right. So that's for younger people. Get the good habits now. Uh, for those who are older, okay, we get stuck in our ways, and it's a lot harder to break the habitual sin once we get to, to middle age right? because our brain pathways get, get pretty much set and we, we no longer have the natural virtues that we can develop and practice over time. But there's good, good news for us as well because what we can achieve is infused virtue. And this we can ask for in prayer. And we should never forget also that at our baptism, we receive all the faith, hope, and love that we need for salvation. Okay. So that's, that's my advice. So it's going to involve prayer, right? And it's going to involve the practice of virtue. We need to pray for virtue, but, but virtue truly is the antidote to vice. And and that's the good news. Um, too often you get this sort of um, this Jansenist approach uh, to things where, where God's an angry God and he's just waiting for us to do something wrong so he can punish us. Right? That is completely wrong. That's, that's a heresy. We don't believe that. Um, God is, is loving, compassion, and mercy, and he's waiting for us to, to pursue him through virtue, through prayer. So whenever the church says no to something, It's actually because she is saying yes to something much greater. So this virtue gives us um, the ability to choose the good. We're not saying no to something and just trying to avoid these sins and vices. What we're actually doing is saying yes to a greater good and pursuing that greater good. So I can't recommend enough to people to learn more about virtue. Yes, you must learn what the sins are. So what, what Alan, what would you say is the first step in defeating evil?
1: Yeah, I always say, <laughs> read Archbishop Sheen. <laughs> like that's always yeah, been my, yeah. my answer, because what, again, in 1939, he gave seven reflections on the seven deadly sins And how the antidote was the seven last words our Lord spoke from the cross. And then to follow, yes, to follow that up, in 1940, he wrote a book called The Seven Virtues, where he asked all of us to practice the virtue to, in reparation, to combat Mm -hmm. the seven deadly sins. So you need to, uh, like you say, to eliminate this, you need to practice yeah. that. It's, yep.
2: it's almost yep. like
1: a rule. And um, you know, yes. I think this is what Fulton Sheen gave us was a rule of life: to mm-hmm. practice the virtue, to live the beatitudes, to help make reparation for our sins, and mm-hmm. to help us change our behaviors.
0: Mm-hmm. And uh,
1: you know, speaking of changing our behaviors, I know that uh, in the talk that you gave at the Immortal Combat Men's Conference. You yep. spoke a great deal about how you were able to change many of your yes. behaviors with a rule of life that you uh, picked up from Good Saint Benedict yep. and um, right. I think uh, people at home are saying, you know, I need some type of rule. Uh, do you have a formula? Do you have something? like I don't want to go to AA meetings. I don't want to go to yep. a therapist. I, I don't want to go through that that hard root do you, do you have a spiritual program you can give me that um uh, i can say three Hail marys and it, it's a fixed you know like <laughs> yes <laughs> you yes know? but i think there's a lot of merit in uh, what people have been sharing about rules of life uh yes. finding a rule that works for you so yeah uh, spend, spend some time about um the rule of saint benedict and you are a professor Certainly. oblate so tell us a little That's bit right. about that story and how you sure. found the Oblates or the Oblates found you. But again, another <laughs> wow, another rescue movement in your life. So yeah. please, please share.
2: Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, notice what the genius of Fulton Sheen did. Right? Notice what he did. He didn't start with virtue. He started with the vices. Right? And he's really giving you the, 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 the very first step in beating a vice. The ability to name it. First step in defeating evil is to name it. If, if I can't say to myself, I have the disease of alcoholism, there is no way I can begin to tackle that vice. And so I need to name the evil. I need to name Satan so that I can then identify those sins. And again, the beauty of Mother Church, all right, when we say the act of contrition, we, we vow to, to avoid sin and to avoid the near occasion of sin. That's another important one to identify, those near occasions of sins, those habitual patterns that are leading us into the sin. Right? But then, of course, we need to know those virtues so that we can pursue them. Um, Yeah, so it was um, pretty early on in my Catholicism that, you know, I mean, God just continually works in my life. Um, Handing my will and my life over to God leads me in crazy directions. If you had told me 10 years ago that I'd be doing interviews internationally talking about the Catholic faith, I'd have thought you were crazy. So early on in um, in my return home, Um, My wife and I were up at her parents' in the Blue Mountains, and um, I saw in the church bulletin that they were having a conference, and this conference was called It's Great to be Catholic. And I thought, oh, that's great. I'd love that. It was on a Saturday, so um, I I got a pass out from my wife, permission to to go for the entire day, and I went along to this conference. And it was a conference put on by this uh, apostolate called Perusia. So I went there and I met uh, this, the, the people from, from this ministry, this apostolate, and I heard three talks that day. I heard Shabel Raish, the director and founder of Perusia, give his conversion story, and his conversion story is called uh, "How Islam Led Me Back to Christ." He's just put, published the full version of that as a, as a book, which is available on the Perusia site, uh, the website. Um, it was an amazing, amazing conversion story. I also heard Simon Carrington, who I believe spoke at Immortal Combat as well. He's, he's very big on the teachings of um, St. Pope John Paul II, he's, uh, particularly the uh, theology of the body. And so I heard Simon talk about the sexual sins and, and giving similar advice to what I'm talking about now, about pursuing virtue as the antidote to vice. And then I heard Robert Haddad, talk on the Eucharist for just over an hour, and my jaw was on the floor. I was absolutely blown away. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Robert is now a friend. Uh, you can see up in this corner, one of the logos, Lumen Verum Apologetics. Uh, this was something that Robert Haddad and Arlet Bowen and uh david obeid started uh like 24 years ago in sydney a apo- little apologetics group to to defend the faith and educate catholics and uh, recently um uh, perusia has been asked to get involved and so now i'm heavily involved in this and it's truly an honor to be serving that apostolate because that was actually the uh, the apostolate that taught chabel uh, everything he knows as well and so Perusia is actually a fruit of that little apostolate and, and we're now going online with that this year so i met these guys and i realized that they were promoting uh, all of the speakers and the stuff that i was reading and so i realized that these guys were worth keeping track of and getting to know that if i heard of a speaker or an author uh, i could go to the Perusia site and, and check it out and see if that author was authentic. And, and that's that's been one of the, the saving graces that has helped me stay in the middle, you know, coming back as a very low information uh, Catholic. So I got to know them. And uh, I, I, I also got to know um, some of the local priests. And one in particular I got to know, um, a, a Benedictine hermit uh, who lives in Kangaroo Valley, which is only 20 minutes from where I live Um, near the Shoalhaven River. And uh, as I got to know him, I got to know St. Benedict. And when I started exploring the different Catholic spiritualities, because I realised I needed some formality in my life, I needed some structure, I needed some discipline, I started looking at all these different spiritualities. And when I started doing that, God threw Benedict in my face constantly. So it wasn't my choice, <laughs> I was led to it. I was talking to this Benedictine who was telling me about St Benedict. Um, then you know I would see um, Benedict come up on the screen uh, or I'd find some quote from Benedict and it just carried on and on. And then I went to my second Perusia conference uh, and this was uh, with a, a woman named Sarah Swafford. Uh, she's the wife of Andrew Swafford. They're, they're both at Atchison, Kansas. Andrew teaches at uh, Benedictine um, College there. And Sarah had written a book called Emotional Virtue, which I highly recommend. And uh, I got talking to her afterwards and I, I we, we got talking about this um, spirituality and I said, oh, yeah, I am considering becoming a Benedictine oblate. And she said, oh, I've got loads of friends who are Benedictines. And of course she was at Benedictine College where she'd done her work and where she wrote the book. So it became pretty obvious to me that so the benediction spirituality was, um, was something that was going to work for me. And one of the things that attracted me to it was this idea of prayer and work, prayer and work. And, and notice the order, all right? So the aura, prayer, et labora, and work, the aura comes first. And it's also a way of then offering our work as prayer up to God. And so it was very attractive to me particularly because I have this major back injury. I had this car crash in 2004 and have this um, compression fracture of T12 and L1 in the spine, and so I'm in a lot of pain. So I was needed to rest a lot. And so this idea of even though I wasn't able to, to work or if I was, if I was doing the housework, I'd, I'd maybe get half an hour of housework in before I would have to go and rest <laughs> for half an hour. And so this idea of praying in between this was massive for me. And, and I think it was the introduction to the Benedictine way of life that then uh, got me to tackle my opiate addiction because through this injury, through constant pain, I, I was put on opiates uh, legitimately by doctors as, as part of um, uh, my treatment But, you know, uh, opiates are basically alcohol in a pill form to someone who struggles with the addiction of alcoholism. And so I I was in a pretty bad uh, shape for a long while. But through this idea of prayer and work, um, I was able to really start thinking about the opiates I was taking and, and the change that it was causing in me as well. And I'd also discovered Louis de Montfort and, in particular, a little book called Friends of the Cross. And it was through reading that book, and I haven't even finished it. Like I, I, I go a couple of paragraphs, and then I've got to go and contemplate it for you know days at a time. But even through just reading a quarter of that book, uh, I realised that the opiates were bad news for me. And so I'm now a, a pain sufferer and an opium addict who does not take strong pain medication. All right. I take paracetamol, and that's it. So it was through. Through all of that and then through this Benedictine spirituality and this, this discipline and this ordered way of life that I was able to start um, beating uh, some of my greatest vices. Now, don't get me wrong, I am not spiritually perfect. <laughs> I claim spiritual progress, not spiritual perfection. Uh, so I'm still battling, still battling with a lot of things. Uh, but I'm starting to have some victories. And, and part of it is coming through this very structured prayer life. Uh, particularly through praying the Psalms, uh, which is one of the things that an oblate promises. So we're considered third orders. You've got the first orders, the deacon, priest, um, bishop. Then you've got second orders, the consecrated life, right? priests, nuns, hermits, etc. cetera. Uh, and then third orders. And so these are orders that are often open to the laity. And the Benedictines call their third orders oblates from the word oblation, which means sacrifice. And so what we, what we, Promise as Oblates is to attempt to live out the rule of St. Benedict in our life as best we can, according to our state. For me, the married state. We promise to pray the hours of Lord's and Vespers every day. So that's morning prayer and evening prayer from the divine office. And we promise to engage in uh, lexio divina uh, on a daily basis as well. And this is a very prayerful way of reading scripture uh, in which God. Uh, then speaks to us through the words of Scripture, and following this hierarchy of prayer works extremely well for me. Um, the hierarchy of prayer is uh, is is four four steps, right? And it's it's they're numbered one to four because they're to be followed in in through one two four. The very first on the hierarchy of prayer is liturgy, right? Liturgy. All right. In fact, the first and second are liturgy, the highest form of prayer we have is the mass. So that's right at the top. We've got to go to mass. More mass means a more healthy spiritual life. The next is the divine office. It's also called the liturgy of the hours. And for um, diocesan priests, they have to pray all seven hours every day under pain of sin. Uh, all seven times that they pause in the day and they pray through the psalms and the psalms all 150 you pray over a 28-day cycle and it's a wonderful way wonderful spiritual practice and i highly recommend it in fact vatican ii called for it they called for the laity to engage in this practice of the divine office and then so you've got the two liturgies And, of course, liturgy is all about the mission of Christ, right, to glorify the Father and sanctify his people. So it's all about offering it up to the Father. right? With Lectio Divina, this is where the prayer starts in the opposite direction. So this is a prayerful way of reading Scripture whereby a word or a phrase of Scripture might jump out that's of importance to us. This is what God wants us to contemplate. And then we move into this contemplation over what, God's trying to tell us and so this is a way of then God speaking to us through the sacred page and my my life always starts going downhill whenever I drop Lexio Divina all right uh, and then the next step on the hierarchy of prayer is devotional prayer and of course uh, what is the queen of devotions the holy rosary all right right at the top it's it's almost similar to Lexio Divina in that it is also a a contemplative way of of reading uh, scripture. And then you've got all the other devotions um, below that. And then right at the bottom is extemporary prayer. This is where we chat to God in our own words, right? But what we should do is get good at steps one, two, and three. So that step four, our words, our prayers, our chatting to God becomes more divine. Because right, we are in this process of deification. If we just sit at the bottom level and chat to god, we we' we're at the whims of our own imagination or our enemy. right we We might only get it right a third of the time, but when we get practiced at the first three levels of prayer, you find that your thoughts begin turning uh, more to God-type prayers. And so all of this started helping me identify these near occasions of sin one of the big things that helped me was the, uh, the idea that the angels only have access to our imagination. They don't have access to our inner thoughts. And so realizing that and realizing that, that a lot of our sins starts in the imagination, right? Every time I'm starting to do something sinful, I can look at it and say, where did that thought come from? And quite often it's from the imagination. It's this idea that's been planted by the enemy. And so I'm able to look at that thought and say, you know what, it's either from me, it's from God or from it's, or it's from the enemy, and it helps me to identify which of those it is. And through these other spiritual practices, I was able to introduce more spiritual practices in my life. Uh, if you're a man, you're going to really struggle with two big vices, anger and lust. Full stop. Okay, we're all going to struggle with that. Uh, The way to beat anger is progress in the spiritual life, and I highly recommend it. Uh, Lust was a bit more difficult for me because this was a a vice that had started when I was 12. And um, because I'm a pain sufferer and, uh, you know, boy, could I tell you stories, especially about my kidney stones, Um, and I would find that uh, I would usually bust and, and masturbate when I was down and low and depressed and sick um, or on opiates because I had to take opiates because I had a kidney stone. And these were times that I, that I would fall. But the regularity of it helped me realise that we did, really do have these, these habits that start in the imagination and lead towards this sin that we can knock on the head pretty early on. A difficult one for me was when I, when I go to bed. So every night I go to bed, I get attacked, right? Sexual images from my past, all the sexual images I've watched on screens, all the the sexual images I've seen in person, et cetera, et cetera. This was the way that I would get attacked every single night uh, until I realized that I actually had uh, an audio Bible on my phone. And what I started doing was I would turn the volume down quite low and I would start, playing the audio Bible as I was going to sleep. And so as I'm lying there, falling to sleep, listening to scripture, then my thoughts would wander and either I'd fall into sleep or I'd start getting these sexual images. And every time the sexual images came, I was able to turn my ears on and concentrate on the words of scripture. And it has been immensely helpful. Um, I've also found the same thing with with the shower. So you know, let's face it, guys. That's uh, that's a near occasion of sin for us, where masturbation and lust is concerned. And realizing that, I'm able to enter into the shower now prayerfully, right? Say a prayer beforehand. Uh, go in the shower and and just go through the motions. Concentrate on washing, you know, doing the hair, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, whilst directing my thoughts right to Parousia, for instance, the apostolate that I'm working on, or to prayer, you know, God-type thoughts to to avoid these images that I'm being bombarded with. So, uh, yeah, those those are a couple of big ones uh, for me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, what, what you're really describing is that you realize I need a plan. Yeah. I need a plan. I yeah. just can't leave this to chance, because if That's you just right. leave it to chance, the devil will always... Yeah. Um, you know trip us up and so to have a program to have a plan to know that uh, you have people behind you praying for you uh, that you have you know what I call the church militant the church suffering the church triumphant at your disposal to help you in your mission so uh, again this is what's beautiful is that you've shared with us not only the rescue movement that God is in Mm -hmm. and that he's rescued you many times uh, but he does provide us help he provides us yes. great help, and, and all uh, we got to do is ask. Yes, that's the beauty of it. Yes, yeah. yeah. And and that's what I think. Sometimes the devil wants us to believe that we're handcuffed, that we're trapped, yep. that there is no rescue coming. But that is that's such right. a lie. He is the father of yep. lies, and we have yep. to realize that. And uh, you know this uh, again. This Benedictine spirituality uh, is a gift in your life, and uh, of yeah, course we. That. Ask uh, the viewers to uh, give it some thought. And maybe if it's not Benedictine spirituality, look at Carmelite spirituality, Dominican spirituality. Uh, The church has given us these saints. They all have a charism. And, uh, you know, there's something for everyone. So uh, be open to it. Be open to it. And uh, that's the beautiful thing about that. And uh, be open to good formation. I mean, we haven't even really yes. talked a great deal about Perusia and uh, the media yeah. outlet that has been yeah. giving such a great catechesis. So uh, let's yes. just spend a few moments because I don't want to leave that-
2: uh, Certainly. I can give you as much time as you need. <laughs> I don't need to, to rush off. <laughs> you
1: know, We have time. It's uh, This is the <laughs> yeah. beauty of the internet is that um, I think everybody has just been uh, just in awe of God uh, working in your life. And uh, it's such a beautiful inspiration of hope mm. to us to, to know that uh, the Lord has rescued you and he can rescue our friends, our family members, and yeah. even us, because many of the viewers are nodding their heads saying, I know what you're struggling with. I, yeah. you know, that's where yeah. I'm at right now. And so there is hope. So, uh, yeah. but what's important is that we fill our minds with good stuff. And uh, I think sometimes we just kind of think it'll just kind of arrive. It doesn't mm-hmm. always arrive. Sometimes we have to go and seek, seek the Lord, why he may be found. So
2: that's uh, right. When that's I visit, right. He, he's visit. a lover. He wants us to pursue him. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, yes. particularly us married men, even single men, you know, that in order to, to, to have a wife, a lover, you need to pursue them. And God is the ultimate lover. So he wants us to pursue him. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: So tell us about Perusia. You know, we always think of Aura yeah. Ed Labora. Well, you, you've got the perfect thing because you work for <laughs> Perusia as their event manager. So your day crazy. is Aura
2: Ed Labora. So. It's, it's absolutely crazy. Um, uh, particularly the way that happens, you know, I just, I, I just loved, loved that initial conference. Um, I think we might need to to run that conference virtually um, at some point uh, because it, it was it was truly an amazing conference for me and uh, helped me to get to know the guys, um, and it was it was so good in many other ways as well because it was at my second conference that um, a legionary of Mary got talking to me and told me about the brown scapula. So then I've worn a brown <laughs> scapula ever since, and that was at a Perusia. Conference that at a, at a talk that I, I learned about that. So uh, they were absolutely amazing. So I kept going to their events. Um, I, I would then go in search of, of their speakers and partners and, and listen to more of of, of their speakers and, and partners, uh, like Dr. Edward Sree, Dr. Scott Hahn, of course, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers, uh, Jeff Cavins, and and so many more. Uh, so as I started to get to know them, um, I, I would see often uh, at a talk, right? Charbel would be at the back of the room with the, the sales table selling all the resources from Ascension and um, from Ignatius Press and, so uh, you know, all the, the authors and stuff, and he'd be swamped, which was a great thing to see, by the way, that people are hungry. People are hungry for good catechesis and formation. And I've had point of sales experience. So um, I would offer to help, right? So remember that um, my call to the, the, the Protestant Bible College was a call to ministry, really a call to service. And this is why we've, we've labeled my conversion testimony from selfishness to service, because the life I lived, right, um, completely deep in, in habitual sin was all about me. And so, again, this, the antidote to that is to get out of self and to serve. And so I just kept volunteering. And then uh, it was uh, last year that uh, Chabelle found out that uh, I used to work as an audiovisual technician. So I used to work on live corporate events, all right? I was pretty much a glorified roadie, but uh, I still had a lot of experience of live events And they got me up to North Sydney one day so that they could pick my brains. And we had the cameraman standing in front of me and the the founder, Charbel, who's who's just a, a wonderful, lovely man. And they're picking my brains about live events because at the end of last year, they had their biggest conference yet coming up. And that was four of the Catholic Answers guys were coming out to Australia. And so they wanted to know as much as they could about live events. And I realized as they were asking me questions, and as they were talking to each other, that, that they really didn't have any experience of an event of this nature. And I did. And at one point I even said to them, you know what, guys, you really need a run sheet. And I remember the cameraman um, turned to Chabelle and said, told you so. <laughs> and Chabelle kind of hung his head and said, yeah, we, we, we really need a lot of things. And, of course, while they're having that conversation, after I said you guys really need a run sheet, you know, a little voice from on high says, so what are you going to do about it? And so as soon as they finished talking, I said, Hey guys, why do not I just volunteer to come and help you? I'll do the run sheet for you. And then I'll come up on the event and I'll kind of act as, as an event manager for you and just take some of the stress off. And they said, Oh, uh, that'd be great. Uh, the next Guy we've got coming out is in just a couple of weeks. Um, have you heard of Dr. Edward Sree? And I'm like, yes. <laughs> I got to spend four out of five days of this tour with Dr. Sree, one of my Catholic heroes. And it was awesome. And at the end of it, um, I, I was told uh, by the operations manager that it was the smoothest event they'd had yet. And Chabell was just, he couldn't believe um, that I'd, I'd done all this and he's, he's saying to me at the, on the last night, what can I ever do to thank you? And I said, Shabelle, are you kidding? I'm thanking you. I've had an absolute ball. And he said, great. Do you want to do it again? Deacon Harold's coming in August. <laughs> so I've spent nine out of 12 days with Deacon Harold, even taking him on a five and a half hour journey down to the border of New South Wales and Victoria, and and doing talks, and then spending a weekend in a seminary, and then driving five, five and a half hours back. You know, it was amazing. And then after that, it was just inevitable. I kind of had this um, this volunteer position of events uh, manager, and so the the Catholic Answers tour happens, and I was heavily involved in that. And so it's it's all kind of snowballed from there. And uh, Chabelle realised also that um, because of all the study I'd done, I had quite a high level of knowledge with regards to the Bible. Um, I'd also done the De consecration to Mary, and so I'd learned a lot about Mary. And so um, he came to me uh, one day and said, I've found myself double booked for a Bible study. I don't suppose you'd be interested in running one. (laughs) So I said, uh... Sure, <laughs> why not? Uh, so I ended up doing a Bible study with um, very um, favorable feedback. And so now I'm finding myself one of Perusia's official Bible study leaders. And this year when COVID hit, uh, we were halfway through Bible studies each, but we realized that everyone was going online and we could probably do the same. So we finished our Bible studies off completely online and people loved it. So now we are dedicated to every term of the Australian school year. We're going to run two online Bible studies, as well as running Bible studies in parishes if uh, if requested. Uh, so yeah, I've been I've been very busy. I'm probably the only you know events guy in Australia who's been swamped with work during the COVID thing, rather than you know completely destroyed as far as work is concerned. So. It's, it's been an absolute roller coaster ride. And, of course, my testimony is now on CD um, and is, uh, has been listened to by, by many people. And uh, then the next thing I know, I'm asked to give a talk on Sir Benedict from Mortal Kombat. And, yeah, it's a wild ride saying yes to the Holy Spirit. You know, I, I have free will. I can get out of this fast-flowing current anytime I like. But if I just keep saying yes do with me as you will, Woo! it is a very wild ride. And the best news is that God wants this for everyone. What mm. you got going to do is give your will over to the care of God.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love those words of St. Peter. Where else are we going to go? <laughs> <laughs> yes, <laughs> you have the words of everlasting life. Right. So, uh, right. but yeah. uh, let's, uh, let's end on that. Let's end on by yes, uh, sharing with Peter. Idea shared where else where are we going to go so we're in the right spot we're in the right spot so um, um uh thank you for joining us uh we're just getting started we'll have time. to have you back of course uh oh
2: i'd love to i've enjoyed uh, myself yes. really
1: and and i think for the viewers out there i want to recommend that you uh visit uh, Perusia's website Perusia media you'll see the resources they have the speakers that are available the on-demand stuff uh pilgrimages they run i think you know we are sometimes doing google searches and we're finding things that are close to home but sometimes you may have to go to another uh, country to find good stuff but there are true simply to find variety (laughs) but there's true gems in australia so uh, of course there's diamonds in australia There's diamonds in north america so uh again we have to go yeah. hunting for those diamonds sometimes. But uh, yeah. I tell you, you are a diamond in the rough there, Matthew. Thank so you. thank, thank
2: you. you. And, and the Parousia Facebook page is well worth following and liking as well because uh, the Parousia podcast will will stream there live every Wednesday morning.
1: Very good. Very good. Well, yeah. we'll close out with a prayer to uh, the Venerable Archbishop Fulton J. Uh, of Pleasure. course, uh, you know that I'm a big fan of his works and uh, love sharing uh, Sheen with the world. So we'll pray for his... Uh, intercession on to Perusia Media that uh, uh, Fulton Sheen will uh, help and assist uh, your apostolic work. So uh, please join me. I love
2: Sheen as well. <laughs>
1: yes. In the name of the Father, and of the uh, Son, and of the, Holy, of the Spirit. Holy Spirit. Amen.
2: Amen.
1: Eternal Father, you alone grant us every blessing in heaven and on earth through the redemptive mission of your divine Son Jesus Christ and by the working of the Holy Spirit If it be according to your will, glorify your servant, Archbishop Fulton J. Sheen, by granting the favor we now request through his prayerful intercession. And here we pray for God's blessing upon Perusia Media and their apostolic outreach. And we make this prayer confidently through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen. amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us for this edition of Hungry for More. And uh, until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon you kindly and bring you peace. God love you.
0: Patchwork Heart Ministry and Fiat Ministry Network invite you to discover your mission, a brand new in depth monthly video series featuring engaging Catholic speakers who will challenge you to live your life abundantly. For only $25 a month, you will receive a personal monthly mission, including three full-length inspirational talks that build upon a new theme each month. Sign up for the Discover Your Mission tier at patreon.com slash patchworkheartministry today.